Hey, welcome back to another exciting episode of Spellstorm Miniatures. My name is Jeremiah. And I'm Chad. And we are flying without Dan today, but uh, we're still going to have a good episode for you to listen to. And uh, I'm actually pretty excited about today's topic. Um, the topic uh, has to deal with what do you do when thinking about starting a new game? And, you know, that's something that many of us have done and do and still do. And Yeah. Yeah. And well, and and we've also been talking about some other games as um, we've become aware of some other games recently. So it's a yeah. fresh topic that's on our minds. That's right. And so, uh, yeah, so I'm excited to have that top uh, that conversation. Um, but before we get there, uh, one of the things we like to do is talk about games that we played, and just maybe share a highlight or something about those games. And um, have you played any games lately? Uh, the only games that I've been able to get in was I had a full day basically of nothing but Commander. So uh, July 3rd, I went over to a buddy of mine, uh, Robert, who's actually been part of the War Machine community for a long time. That's how I met him. Um, but he and I have birthdays in June. My roommate, Justin, and my other really good friend from high school, Jeremy, have birthdays in May. So we did, did kind of a combined birthday, 4th of July uh, hangout day on July 3rd nice. and um, we did a sealed commander legends uh, game where it was just four of us. We had eight packs of commander legends. We opened them up um, and then from our pool made a 60 card commander deck uh, and then played a game with them. That was a ton of fun. Um, nice. I had a lot of different options and I wasn't sure which direction to go, but I ended up going with, I can't remember the name of the legendary creature, but it's a, um, it's like a Naga or I think it's a Naga shaman. Mm. Uh, it's a three one and it has, uh, it has cascade. And then it has a passive ability of your spells with CMC six or more have cascade. So I built this whole deck, this whole blue green deck about like, um, being able to cascade into other bigger spells and getting free spells and drawing lots of cards and stuff. So nice. a ton of fun. Um, after that, this is also the event where I don't remember if I talked about it on here, probably not, but um, we did a budget commander deck construction kind of uh dare between the four of us because my friend Robert was complaining about making a budget deck for a commander that was less than a hundred dollars and I was and Jeremy and I were like hundred bucks like just just stop using good lands like just there's plenty of lands that yeah tap for multiple colors he's like yeah but they enter play tapped and we're like oh come on like you have to sacrifice you have to sacrifice speed for money like if that's if you're trying to get it under a budget you can't always have the fast lands or shocks or other things. So yeah, um, I made, I made two decks. I think I was the only one that made two decks and then everyone else made one. Um, we played a couple of games of that. It was a lot of fun. Neither one of my decks did very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, mostly because my artifact deck um, just got targeted. Uh, there was a board wipe that hit that left me mm. with one creature, uh, my commander who was very big who ended up being a 14-14 after the board wipe, and that's a very scary target. And my friend Jeremy, who built a pirate deck on a budget, 
um, promptly started stealing people's creatures and then punching them with it. So I died to my own commander. <laughs> very quickly. Um, my other one was a black white angel deck. Um, it was good in theory, but I was just a little bit slow on lands. Um, yeah. So I couldn't quite get going. And I felt like my, my board state kept getting targeted because I had like nothing but flyers. Oh, yeah. um, we had lunch, Robert uh, cooked some burgers and then, we played just with some of our constructed decks, did a little trading and hung out. It was really great. It was a really great um, day where we were just, we were sitting around talking about commander and playing for like about a good 10 hours. Yeah. Um, and it was just really nice. Uh, things have been kind of stressful recently for me. Um, I'm not really a fan of my birthday. Uh, <laughs> sorry. So, I mean, uh, I know well, you have one every year, but I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens when you, what happens when you start getting older um stop becoming a fan of your birthday um but that was nice to be able to to hang out with those guys and jeremy and i have been friends jeremy and i have been friends since high school um that's cool so it was it was good to see him and hang out with him for a long time and and play some games and stuff so those were my only games um while i was doing that unfortunately i did give up my uh, my spot for my every other weekend of wargaming uh, with another small group from guys in our community, uh, Richard, Matt, and a couple other guys uh, started doing something. So I had to miss that uh, in place of playing Commander, but um, that's coming up again this weekend. So I'm looking forward yeah. to playing some minis games. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we've been playing a lot of uh, Flesh and Blood at our house. And what's very interesting is um, my wife, Laura, you know, she's not so keen on card games and war games, but she'll play board games with us, you know, mm -hmm. and, but for whatever reason, she's been agreeable to playing the multiplayer format of flesh and blood. Okay. And so, so we'll get one time, one time we even got a four player game with Bryce and Laura and Oz and me. And so, Oz is really happy right now because he's getting a lot of flesh and blood in. Um, most of the my games have been with uh, pre-constructed decks, and so um, just kind of getting the feel for the game and getting a feel for how each hero plays. Mm -hmm. But I actually broke down a few of them, and then I built a uh, wizard deck. Um, and I can't remember the name of the, I think make I think that it starts with an M, the name of the hero starts with an M, but, but I built the wizard deck and I built it. Um, and the way you can build the deck is, is you can build the deck to fit multiple formats. Um, mm -hmm. the, the standard size can also work for a, uh, for the multiplayer format with a couple tweaks and you just use the young hero version instead of a mature version. Mm -hmm. So Oz um, beat me pretty handily, I think, on one of the games, <laughs> as per usual. But then, and I think it was the first game we played with that deck. And then the second game, I think I figured it out. And because the wizard is so strong, it just does direct damage. He even has, he even begins the game with fewer life points than all the other heroes. Yeah, and so and just to compensate for his power, you know, and so I, uh, uh, I just 
I just went yard on him and I finally figured out like how the deck is supposed to work, you know? And, um, and he was not very happy. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what happened. So. But yeah, anyway, enjoying the game and we're going to get some more in, I'm sure. But, uh, um, is a small side question. Have yeah. you guys ever done any like deck builders with Laura? Is she just kind of a, not interested in any sort of like card based game like oh, that, or is it no, strictly loves, TCGs? She is just TCGs. She loves deck okay. builders. We have the the DC deck builder, the Lord of the Rings deck builder. We have Dominion. We have uh, Star Quest, Star Realms. Oh um, yeah. I mean, we have tons of deck builders at home that that she'll play with and enjoy. Um, okay. I know so, some people are just uh, like completely opposed to like any sort of card, um, yeah. card based game or anything like that. And um, like one of our regulars said that his uh, his girlfriend was completely opposed to deck builders of any kind, but she absolutely loves Disney villainous. And mm-hmm. he was just like, I'm just not going to tell you that this is a deck builder. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Yeah, until the right time, and then you can expand the. Yeah, know, and we're like, yeah, you know, all those games that you dislike. This is basically it. Well, <laughs> yeah. I think I think what what makes Flesh and Blood a little bit different than other card games is that it has like just modern rules design. Just yeah. the fact that any card can be used for at least four different purposes. Yeah, and and it's just. Um, and you know the art's pretty, and and also it's something that Oz is interested in, and so I think Laura's motivated to want to try to get more Oz time. So, yeah, but yeah, yeah, you're hogging him all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably, but uh, Oz and I got a chance to get together uh, with Harry and Arthur for a day of War Machine, and so they had a couple tables set up. And we just went over there, brought some brought some donuts, and you know they made coffee for us, and um, and we decided that we would just randomly pair up, um, but not play father son or yeah father versus son and father versus son. Yeah. So we basically split it up. So um, and so it ended up being father versus father and son versus son, and. Um, I was playing Veil 2 in Oracles, and um, and Harry was playing Wormwood in Bones. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever faced, against, faced off against Wormwood. And so I was very intrigued with the, the vectors that they have, because Cassius can run out somewhere, and, and he can channel through Cassius, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so... So I just, I felt real, um, and I was really afraid of the Hellmouth spell for some reason. It's an incredibly good spell. It is. Well, and here's the thing. My list was, um, I, I heavily skewed all my minions as possible. I, I ran very little actual Legion stuff in the list uh, because I was trying something out. I wanted to, I wanted to uh, stress test the idea, my recursion idea. And so, um, and so I had all these single wound models just running out there and, and Hellmouth, a single Hellmouth spell could easily just eliminate, you know, oh, yeah. you know, and stuff. And yeah. Stuff. Well, and if you're also, uh, 
leaning on recursion of your own guys, Hellmouth removes from play. So exactly. Because so then he doesn't come back. Yeah. So, and that's, I, yeah, that's real I was, dangerous. I was real afraid of it. So turn one, I played real timidly. And, but I, but I got as many guys out there as I could in such a way that he was not able to cast a good Hellmouth spell. And so, um, so I did good and it caused him a little bit of stress, but what it did for the later turns was it prevented me from getting like my second wave just came too slow. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, the, the, the big highlight for me was I had half of my uh, Croak Raiders um, got wiped out. And so I had about a half a unit left. And he had the Malvin and Mayhem model kind of in the center of the table. And so I just walked over, oil gorded him, and then and then almost took him out. He was full strength. And, yeah. And I brought him down to, to just a couple boxes. And then I was able to charge him with another model but and kill him. Um, uh, and so that just, that made me just, that made me really happy. And it, and it sort of, and it made me able to focus on the like threats because the, with Geomancy, his wolves can, can cast or, you know, like Stranglehold, for example, mm -hmm. and stuff. And so, but, but Malvin and Mayhem, if he was, if that model was able to just run Ruckshot all over me, I wouldn't be able to control like anything. And yeah. so, so I removed something at least, and then, and then was able to kind of focus my energy. The biggest issue was he, um, the turn that I could have gone for assassination, um, I, it was the turn he feeded, and when Wormwood's armor was at the twenty-one, and so so I chose chose not to, um, but unfortunately I left my Scythian just within range of one of my Croak Raiders, and so he hell mouthed the Croak Raider, pulled the pulled the Scythian in, and then pulled his War Beast in, mm. and. And and what it really did really was it pulled his war beast forward. Yep. And then that created an assassination vector for him to get on Vale. Had yep. had uh, had that Hellmouth not gone off, uh, Vale would have been perfectly safe, and then I would have assassinated the following turn, possibly. But it, but I would have, I would have had a chance. And so um, anyway, it was a great game. And, yep. and, Harry, and Harry's great to play with. So, did did he have any sentry stun and mannequins in the list? Yes, he did, and I eliminated one relatively quickly in the game, and then the other one, I kept getting rid of the mannequins, but I couldn't get to the stone, and mm. so he kept, kept bringing one back every turn. Yeah. Um, so and so, yeah, his sprays were were getting me too. So yeah. But well, uh, I'll have to talk to him about some tricks because especially like <laughs> using sentry stone and mannequins you don't care if the mannequins die you can use them as hellmouth targets and just walk your dude wherever you want it to be yeah it just has to stay in formation because you're not allowed to target something out of formation with a spell even an offensive yeah. one like that yeah yeah it's an interesting list um being oh, able to geomancy strangle holds on war beasts that can't frenzy is really good and getting access to megalith in that list is also really good so yeah. 
for a long time, Wormwood wasn't allowed in that list because it was black clad circle warlocks only. Um, and then I had forgotten that they lifted that restriction. So now any mm. circle warlock can play in it. Um, nice. Which I guess also makes my... Uh, I had built a bones list with Chromac 1 um, where the only living war beast in the list is Gatorix. Uh But I mm. haven't got to put, the, put it on the table, but it seemed like a fun list. Well, maybe we can do that sometime. But yeah, my my biggest takeaway uh, from that from that game was uh, the, my stress test. Like, I intentionally just loaded the list with the minion models that I had, and um, I think that the Gatorman, Boker, and Bogtrog Swamp Shamblers don't really fit. I the whole idea was recursion stuff. But the recursion mechanic for the Boker and the Shamblers is different. It uses corpses instead of, yeah, uh, you know, and they're not and they're undead, and so the and so the incubi can't come in. So, um, so I'm already back to the drawing board on the list. But it's good because um, because without without skewing so heavily and then doing the stress test, you know, I, I wouldn't have really known. Um, in addition, also they're they're slow. They're only speed five, and they can't really keep up with like the croak raiders, which have advanced deploy. And yeah. then and then if I include the the NIS hex hunters, they have advanced deploy with bail. Yeah. So it's like so it's like you know I, I um, they have to come out, which is awesome because then it'll free up other things for me. So yep. But I I love War Machine, and it felt so good to play. And then it felt so good to be able to test an idea, find out that it didn't work exactly how I thought it was going to work, and then redo the idea. Like that's what I love about this game so much. So, yep. Yeah. Did uh, did uh, Oz end up winning his game, or did Arthur beat him? Uh, yeah, Arthur got in. I think so. Texas had feeded and did a lot of work, and then. Um, and then, uh, what I what what was not in the feet zone area, I think, was Lattermore, and so uh, and so Lattermore was able to do something that Oz I don't think anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but at the end of the at the end of that round, like like all of the, their entire armies were just face to face in the center of the table, duking it out. It was pretty epic. So. Um, yeah, so, but I think, so yeah, so, so the, uh, Harry and Arthur both won their games and Oz and I both lost ours. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it sounds like a, sounds like a fun time though. It was great. It was so good. Um, I, I think we're going to try to maybe get, do it again and, and then maybe, maybe start a little earlier or something and get a couple games in instead of just one. Yeah. So playing a clock, it'll make you faster. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, well, I prefer to play on the clock, but um <laughs> we, we were just going casual, you know, it's our yeah. first game back, so yeah. So well, hey, um I think our topic today is pretty exciting. Talking about um starting a new game. And um you know, recently we've started new games. And so wanted to know, like, 
What's one of the first things that you do when you think about starting a new game? And I think for context, I'm thinking about specifically starting a war game. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of figured. <laughs> yeah. Um, since it's most of what we do, or at least a lot of what we keep our eye on. Yeah. Um, and usually what I, the first, one of the first things that I do whenever I'm looking at a new game is uh, looking at the models and seeing if there's anything that really draws me to them. Um, there've been kind of some exceptions to this with like Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I had heard that it was, or I, I guess I found out that it was actually a miniatures game. Um, and I was already really uh, interested in the IP. We talked about this before. Is um, I've read the books, I've watched the show. I was really interested in the you know Song of Ice and Fire lore and everything like that. And so I was once I heard that there was a game and heard that there were people interested in getting into it. That's kind of what it is that drew me into it. But usually the first thing I do is start looking at the models and seeing if I like am really interested in them. If it's something I could see myself. Um, enjoying looking at because that's kind of one of the important things, at least in my opinion, uh, when you're playing a minis game, is you want to be you want to enjoy the pieces that you're looking at on the table. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true for me as well. My my introduction to new games comes in the form of it being mentioned on a podcast or a YouTube video, or someone I know mentions the game or I see it on the shelf of, at, at the store. Mm -hmm. Although um, that is the, doesn't happen as often because a lot of the stores in our area tend to carry very similar limited product, right? And yeah. so, because um, those are the products that move, random obscure miniature games aren't gonna move. And, and so it makes sense, I'm not faulting the stores. But so one of the first things I do, because I don't, you usually see it on on the table being played is is I'll go online to the website I'll google it I'll find and I'll I'll poke around on on the you know either the publisher's site or the creator site if they don't have a designated site for that game and um, and I do the same thing with you um, I look for I look at the models and stuff so I I also when I'm doing that I'm also kind of looking at prices and I'm looking at how the game is packaged yeah and so like if you get like are there starter bundles that you can get or are there like single faction bundles for like like a starter box or or like full army boxes if you get and I'm a big book guy so if you buy one of those bundles or if you buy one of those starter products what do you get a full rule set with it? You know, yeah. or like one of the games that I started during the pandemic was conquest and you know, you can get the starter for it and they had a, they had a two player starter and then eventually they released kind of like a faction starter. Yeah. And the rule set that you got was a paperback version, um, the a four size paperback version. But course i wanted the nice pretty hardbound yeah <laughs> also has the lure you yeah. know and because i i like to look at it on my bookshelf it's pretty mm -hmm. so but there are other games though where when you buy the starter 
um, it you get a full rule book, you know. So those are things that I that I think about when I when I start a new game. What else do you What else do you do? Uh, the second thing I usually start looking at, or at least thinking about, is um, how much interest there is in the game. Because you know, I've been a part of the War Machine community for so long. I got into the game because um, a couple of my buddies. I got a demo game from um, my friend from high school's older brother that used to work oh. at Guardian Games a long time ago. Uh, gave me my first demo game of War Machine, and at the time. Uh, my friend and another uh, friend of mine um, were also interested in getting into it. And so the three of us were looking at getting into this game. They had already started getting models and I decided to dip my toe into it. And yeah. at the time I was looking to play, I wanted to play something competitive, um, but I didn't want to try and get into competitive magic and paying the rotating costs and things like that. Um, having no idea that miniatures games were just as expensive or sometimes more expensive. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's something I learned later. Um, but the amount of usage that I've got out of my models, um, the amount of the number of people and community that I've learned uh, or yeah. that I've, I've met uh, playing playing war machine and i still have all of my circle models i like i still have everything right. i own from when i started 12 years ago um but that's the other thing is like getting into the community learning people in the community and expanding the community and enjoying it with other people um bringing new people into the game is one of the things that i enjoy um and it's fun to hang out with some people and and just talk about the game that you're playing or the new one that you're interested in. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the other things that I really look at. Cause there's, you know, a couple of different miniatures games that have caught my eye before or other games in general that have caught my eye before, but I just don't, I just don't know enough people interested to justify the cost of getting into it. Um, okay. Or the other kind of flip side to that is how easy is it to provide enough stuff for other people to play right like for before we get there before we get to that, that point um i do want to just capitalize on what, what you just shared one of the things that's very important for me when i'm is is there opportunity to get a demo game in mm -hmm. and and that speaks a lot most of the games that i play that stick are games that i got a demo game in from someone that i knew yeah and and so and even even games that have stuck demo games from someone who I didn't I didn't know you know but but the demo game is so crucial to doing the things that you just talked about yeah build, building community and introducing the game to people so and there's ways to do that and that's the point that you're going into right now I think yeah yeah is how easy is it to get enough stuff to be able to teach other people or play with other people in a semi board game style it's like I've got this one minis game. Um, example is I'm collecting all of the Riot Quest stuff. Um, and Riot Quest, you can use the miniatures in War Machine, even though I don't own all of the factions that all of the miniatures get used in, I'm still collecting everything. That way, if you know some people wanted to play, but not everyone has stuff or not everyone is aware of it, I've got everything that you need. Um, I've got all of the mats. I've got all of the heroes that I'm working on getting fully painted um i've gotten the expansions that have like the 
um, the spawning gates or the treasure chests and stuff like that. So that's kind of one of the other things. That one's like a little bit unique because I was already playing War Machine uh, and there's models I can use in there and I'm a privateer yeah. fanboy. So, <laughs> uh, but something similar to that actually is um, I was thinking about getting into God tier a while ago. I've been thinking about it for a while, but I yeah. didn't know enough other people that were interested in playing um, I was planning to kind of slowly start purchasing into it this year. Uh, and then someone else in our community, um, who, you know, Wes, uh, actually provided, uh, an opportunity for me. He said, Hey, I've got all this stuff from the Kickstarter, uh, with my family recently moved out of the area. I don't really have anyone to play with. I'm not really interested in it anymore. Do you want to do a trade? Like I'm looking for some Gene Steeler cult stuff. Um, you know, would you be interested in purchasing those, purchasing those for me? And then we can trade. And uh, so I'm actually going to be doing that here shortly and getting, okay. um, you know, the first 14 heroes, I think it is, for for God Tears, uh, which is going to be more than enough to have, you know, myself and somebody else have some options to play. Yeah, all the things. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's awesome. Um, that's one of the things that I like about, for going back to the first point, the the two player starter boxes, as yeah. opposed to the faction specific ones. So one of my most favorite wargaming podcasts of all time, uh, they had they had done like several episodes several years ago, where where they were just talking about their hobby desk, and every episode for like four or five in a row, they were talking about this game, you know, Drop Zone Commander. And and then and then they would elaborate a little bit on the game and things like that, but but that was a game that I really really wanted to play, and based on what I was hearing from them on the podcast, and so when I when I found a two player starter, oh I snapped that up really quickly, yeah. and then and then I even took the time to introduce a friend and, and I was going to expand on it and things like that, but. Um, um, but yeah, but, uh, that game was actually deeper than I had expected it to be. So, and yeah, and, yeah so, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if you're going to do demos, I think you got to have a, a good mastery of the game. Yeah. You know, and be able to or at least, a, yeah, at least a, a good understanding of like kind of the basics, uh, yeah. And then have a rule book handy. Like, yeah. don't be af don't be afraid to look up rules if you're oh, yeah, if you're sure. unclear on something or yeah. something like that. But that's that's a whole other topic of of yeah. teaching. But uh, um, yes, so the other rules. oh yeah, go ahead. Well, I was I was just gonna say the other thing that I started looking at in a game um, is kind of the mechanics of the game, uh, the rules yeah. for it, how the game seems to flow, the way that you. Uh, the way that the models start working and interacting together. Um, and this is kind of the point where I get more invested in it. Um, and, and I start really thinking about even more, uh, you know, the step before this, where how many people are interested in it. Um, Cause by this point, like the fish hook is in and it's starting to get reeled. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and I'm just, you know, trying to figure out and trying to justify to myself, like even more if I like the rule set. Um, yeah. But a lot of it still kind of comes back to, even if I like the rule set, um, 
if if I'm not really a fan of the models, it it gets a little. It's still a little harder for me to get into it. Looking yeah. at cool models or looking at pretty models is kind of a big, a big hinge that I hang on. Yeah, yeah. Pretty models with nice rules is way better than ugly models with nice rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the thing is, is you know, there's there's a lot of great games out there, and and there are some that seem to have just uh, uh, they just they just really master their aesthetic, you know. And so when you start poking around the different factions, it's 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 pretty easy for me to find something that I like and and would enjoy painting. Um, yeah. So yeah, because that's that's the big thing is like you and I are we're both hobbyists. We do we paint our miniatures, yeah. and um, like I want to I want to be excited to paint whatever it is that I have. Like yeah. I don't want it I don't want it to sit gray because I like the look of painted models on the table personally. I yeah. like having having my stuff painted. It's one of my major goals that I've been working through um is, is getting more stuff painted. And uh if I'm not excited about painting the model, it's it's hard to do the work, especially with all the other stuff I have going on. It's yeah. hard to find that time um to do it if you're not excited about the project. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on the on the subject of game mechanics too, like um that's a part of the game that um that I like as well. Um and so sometimes like I'll hang on to a game just because it's different enough that you know that so when I play it, you know, it's a it's a fresh break, you know. Yeah. So like I like I really enjoy Malifo. I think Malifo is a a deep game and and it's great and and the fact that it uses cards and that there's a little bit of a the ability to sort of control your fate a little bit, um, you know, um, I, I think that's a fun element to the game that doesn't exist when you're playing with, with dice games. So. Yeah, and it's and it's a very unique experience too because yeah. there is still also the bluffing aspect of yes. the game. Bit. And some people were really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> Others wear our hearts on their sleeves and yeah. can't lie worth the darn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you'd be a little bit better at bluffing once like you get the mechanics down of the game a little yeah. bit more, you play a little bit more of it. When you're new to a game, especially a game like that, where you're looking at what your potential ability, you know tips yeah. uh tipping tipping an ability when it's kind of a showdown like that where you're like okay i play this card to make sure this effect works and someone yeah. is like okay i'm gonna play this to try and make it not work um when you're not certain about the types of things you should be looking for or holding on to to play you're gonna be asking a lot of questions of like oh i drew an eight of this suit is it good to hold on to this even though it's not like the suit that empowers my my faction and that type of thing yeah 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 that's a game that we got to put on the table too so yeah. this is kind of a little bit sidestep to it but like what games have you looked at recently that you that have you've started applying these steps to yeah so uh one of the games that i'm interested in trying out is called arena rex and um and it's been on my list of things to try 
And then one of our listeners reached out to me and mentioned that it's on their list of things to try. And so uh, on the same day, we both purchased our three-man starter box or whatever. And, and what was interesting was uh, the decision process that we both went through. We were messaging each other privately on Discord. And um, they chose um, a, a faction that looked really interesting to me. And, but obviously I couldn't choose that faction. Um, had I had that, had that faction been available to me, I probably would have. But um, so then I had to go through the process of figuring out which models looked best, second best to me, you know? Yeah. And, and in the end, I think I'm pleased with the faction that I chose. And I know you're probably going to ask me what I chose, but so I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to Google that right now. Cause honestly, um, I bought it and it came, but I haven't even opened it yet. So um, I, there were just some other things kind of going on. And so, um, yeah, I'm on their website right now and I'll try to figure out what I purchased in a second. But what about you? Uh, there's been a couple of different ones for me. One of the ones that recently started getting into was uh, Age of Sigmar. Um, I've always been a really big fan of fantasy. Uh, always thought it was really cool. Um, the factions in, in Age of Sigmar, a lot of them look really awesome. Um, and when I was starting to look into it, I really liked the look of some of the Soulblight Gravelord stuff, the early things that we started seeing, the vampire lords and the undead armies, because um, playing the the malignants or the undead, like Legions of Nagash and things, um, had interested me before. And then as I decided to kind of pull the trigger, I started, I mean, there's a bunch of different stuff in Age of Sigmar that looks super cool. Yeah. Um, so I started, I decided what I was going to do instead of just picking what looks the coolest um, was actually read through kind of some overviews, faction overviews of what play styles and how they worked and things like that and decided to settle on Daughters of Cain. Um, one, the models look super cool. Uh, Marathi and her Shadow Queen form, the giant snake wing with wings, um, or the giant, I guess, Medusa kind of with wings, uh, is a fantastic model. It's a gorgeous model. Um, but they kind of played, they fit my play style a little bit better of being very fast, very, very strong. They want to hit hard and, and be maneuverable, which is the way that I like playing my miniatures games. It's part of the reason why I play Circle. It, I always come back to playing Circle in War Machine and Hordes. Uh, it was the reason why I picked Starks when I played Song of Ice and Fires. Um, I like maneuverability and um learning to play with a faction that is very glass cannon where they hit really hard but they're fragile and they kind of fit that aesthetic or they fit that play style a little bit better yeah age of sigmar is a great game and of all the games that i play or have played it i probably have faction hopped more in that game than any other mm -hmm. uh, which is very interesting for me to to make that um, observation, but um, but you're right. Playstyle matters too. Um, just because the models are cool doesn't mean you know 
Yeah. 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 And I'm, I'm kind of glad that I ended up settling on them because I'm not really a fan of some of the other Soulblight Gravelord models that they've released. Like the, um, like the, the bat centaur vampires. Like I'm just not really a big fan of, of the aesthetic that they went for that or some of the other ones. Yeah. So it kind of worked out. Yeah. Here. Um, I found my, the, the, the starter set that I purchased for arena Rex. Mm -hmm. um, it's the Morituri, uh, the Royal Ludus of Egyptus, the Morituri. I'm obviously pronouncing these words wrong. So please forgive me. Uh, but the Morituri elevate and twist the Munera far beyond the scope of anything Roman. Believing the sacred funerary games, not only honor the fallen, but have the power to breach the boundaries of the afterlife. The Moraturi eternally prepare for the next royal Munera to aid in the restoration of their divine rulers. The Moraturi aesthetic features the opulence of the pharaonic tomb, zealous and exotic warriors, and a dark fascination with death. So, so there's a, there's a little bit of an Egyptian theme, yeah. you know, pharaoh kind of in their in their modeling and um and i mean it's arena rex it's supposed to be like gladiators fighting in the center of a ring and it's going to be a brutal game anyway so they so their dark fascination with death is fine as long as they exact death on their opponents and not a, not on, on me so <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. but yeah so um it looks like that to get into Arena Rex, you just uh, the starter sets each come with three models, and the Muratari looked the best to me. I really, if if three very distinct looking looking soldiers. So, yeah. Well, the other thing too, this is a well. I don't know about you guys, about you and Dan, but we were recently talking about uh, Rain in Hell. We mentioned. I think on the podcast before, or at least between the three of us, yeah. um, this is this is a game that the, the three of us have been interested in and decided to start getting into. Um, that kind of breaks the rules that we set in place for, not really the rules, the steps, because uh, it's a model agnostic system, and so they right. have models that they show in their little introduction video that they talk about, but you can use any models as per the nature of model agnostic things. So um, what about it kind of drew you to it? So I think two things. One is um, because I really enjoy reading rules and rule books. Um, one of the things that I want to do eventually in the hobby side of things is I want to create my own game. And, and so the thing that, that drew me to Rain in Hell was not its theme. I mean, it's fine. It's fresh. It's a fresh take on the whole death thing. But, like, um, but the fact that they reduced uh, the stat line to three primary stats. And, and so, the, so the game is very simplistic in that sense. And, and, and I mean, when you think about your, what you do on the battlefield, you know, you move, you do some sort of action and you have a certain amount of life before you get removed from the battlefield. 
And so, and so to be able to reduce the, the stats of those three things, um, and then whatever your stat is suggests how well or how long you live. Right. And so, um, I just, that part of the rules uh, was interesting. It also uses a different die that, um, that isn't used very often, the D12. And so those kinds of things, um, just kind of piqued my interest and, and honestly, it was a cheap purchase. It's, it's an inexpensive game. I already have models, obviously, that I can use for the game. So, yeah, what about you? Um, I had, I think, mentioned recently about wanting to try or being interested in some other uh, model agnostic games. Um, it was one that we talked about. It seemed like an interesting idea. I hadn't really looked at the rules because I, I couldn't, I was having trouble finding any sort of like how to play or rules breakdown or anything like that. Um, I was looking around on their website and uh, I think it's only about 10 bucks for the PDF. And then it's like 15 bucks for a soft core rule book and like, you know, four and a half bucks shipping or something like that. So I just decided to spring for it because it's a cheap investment and I already own models. So, uh, I mean, at the worst, if I don't like it, I'm out 20 bucks, yeah. which is not really that big of a deal. That's pretty, it's pretty low investment for a lot of miniatures games. Um, yeah. So the only drawback was uh, I started thinking about, I was like, oh man, what if, what if I did like a werewolf like faction where, it was all about the predatory nature of like creatures and like the hunter's instinct is the, is the thing that kind of drives the, the group of demons that I'm going to be playing. And recently creature caster just paired with uh, Novak shoot Novak studios. Okay. Uh, it's Novak something studios. It's another miniatures company and released some very, very cool looking werewolf sculpts. <laughs> <laughs> there's like there's the wolf which is supposed to be kind of the leader model he's on a 40 millimeter base um but it looks like he was like broken out of shackles he's got a bunch of like swords and spears like jabbed in his back like he's just angry and uh like charging and then there's another four or five werewolves that they did that are supposed to be like the pack um those are all like 30 millimeter ones um and I was thinking about maybe getting those, but it's a little bit more of a money investment for those models than uh, I'm interested in doing right now. But yeah, um, I thought they were super cool. Um, I have other werewolf models that I can use from War Machine. I'm thinking about just using probably my Skinwalkers from Circle because they're you know they're anthropomorphic. They're yeah. werewolves, basically. Um, they're only on forty millimeter base, and I don't know. I don't know if we figured out what the suggested base sizing is for Rain in Hell. Yeah, they give you um, a few different things because you can, depending on the base size, will depend on how that model interacts on the table. Okay. And so, so like leader um, models are probably going to be bigger. The herald yeah. is probably going to be slightly smaller, and your little like devout. Yeah. Uh, like grunt guys are probably going to be smaller than that. Yeah. So one of the things that's interesting, you know, you kind of are alluding to us doing something as a, as a podcast and I, we won't make the formal announcement today um, about it, but, um, but I was just poking around um, and some of the scenarios that they have for the game are multiplayer. Okay. So, like I'm looking Very at cool. the, the beast right now 
and it's rules for four players. Um, and I love that. So, but yeah, um, yeah, you're right. Uh, as we kind of wrap up this topic, maybe um, the minis agnostics games break all the rules for that we just kind of established for starting a new game. Yeah. Um, and and there's there are a lot of minis agnostics games that I'm very interested in trying, and I have you know minis to repurpose for those games, and it's not a big yeah. deal. You got terrain and things, but like, what is it that catches your eye for those things? And and for and for me, one of them is is the cost, and then the yeah. other two and the other two would be presentation. Like, how does it how does it show up? What does it look like? And like those, those Austria books are really easy. Like learning, learning how to play Frostgrave, for example, such an easy game to learn. Yeah. And, and that part of that is Joseph McCullough's rules writing, but the other is presentation of the rules. Um, it's very chronological in the sense of you that, you know, you start on page one and by the end, you know, you're done, you're ready, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So, I can't imagine a store though, like a you know, like your local friendly game store, like having a library of these rules agnostic games because there's so many of them, and and some of or many agnostic games, excuse me, and some of them like they really can spark interest and sell great, yeah, like Frostgrave, but then yeah. others can just kind of sit on the shelf for years before anybody like. Like one of the ones is uh, Tomorrow's Edge, I think, is the name of it, or no, Edge Reality. Edge is in the title. I think those. I think those actually. I think I just named two different miniatures games there. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, it was kind of like one of them was a futuristic. I think they're both futuristic, and, and one of them was a you know a skirmish game that looked interesting. But like, um, I never purchased the book, I would flip through it at the game store and I would just kind of read read pages at a time, but I never purchased it because I never saw myself building terrain and building a table for that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, actually, it came up recently. I was at work and somebody was asking me about getting into Warhammer 40K and we were talking about it and, um, and I was like, okay, well, like, let me ask you this before we kind of get really deeper into trying to figure out what faction you want. I was like, what is it that's drawing you to Warhammer 40K specifically? Is it just miniatures games or just this? And they're like, well, I mean, it's the only minis game that I know. I always thought it looked kind of cool, but I know that it could be expensive. And so I'm like kind of looking for something to invest time and money into. I was like, well, I mean, there's plenty of model agnostic games out there yeah. too. You know, you could think about getting those. And so he actually ended up picking up the Stargrave rule book that we had in stock. Nice. So um, I think that kind of piqued his interest talking about, like, you know, if you already have miniatures and you're not sure, because, like, especially getting even trying to get into 40K is kind of a, a cost investment. Yeah. Uh, but he was all he was taking that because he already had rules or he already had miniatures. I was talking to him about how like you could do multiplayer, but really like you could just do with two people. Um, you could do anything for terrain. Uh, yeah. And then he was going to start doing some other research of like looking into the 40k factions and things like that to see if that was something he still wanted to pursue or not. So yeah. um, I think I think I'm going to talk to the store owner and try and get some other try and bring back in some of the model agnostic. And now that we have like a couple more uh, people working, um, 
I can step away a little bit more easily to talk to people about miniature games where I, I wasn't really able to before. Yeah. yeah. Small, small aside that was, but, uh, no, that's good. You basically helped someone go through the process that we were just talking about today. You know, yeah. they were looking to start a new game and, and I think, and I think that's probably the, if I, if I had your job, that was, that would be the task that I would have the most fun with. Yeah. Uh, I love, I love introducing new players to things. And so, yeah. Well, cool. Hey, you want to well, talk about what's, uh, like, what you've been, like, purchasing and stuff? Yeah, I was going to say confession time since we're talking, like, talking about <laughs> someone buying rule books. Um, uh, yeah, I mentioned earlier, I, yeah, I recently uh, bought a couple of Gene Steeler cult models, um, a couple of the Goliath trucks, and a box of uh, Adeline bikers um, to trade to Wes. Um, recently purchased or ordered the Rain in Hell rule book. Looking forward to getting that and cracking it open. Um, checking that out. Other than that, I haven't really... Well, I guess I did buy another unit of uh, Ranger Fire Team for Warcaster, so okay. that I have a second unit. Um, also convinced... Uh, also convinced the store owner to requisition one of each of excluding Empyrean's um, starter boxes for Warcaster so that we could have some store demo stuff. Um, and that's related to some other work things that I've been doing. I've been trying to set up some stuff in the display case to showcase some other miniatures games, um, nice. which also, you know, just kind of falls in line with this of introducing people to new games, pointing stuff out that looks cool and doing some sort of a little display that showcases kind of the way that the game is supposed to play. Yeah. Um, I'm doing that with some other stuff as well. So nice. those have been my purchases. I'm looking forward to getting all the stuff, <laughs> adding a bunch more models to my pile of unpainted stuff that I'm trying to work through this year. <laughs> um, I have a bad yeah. habit of doing that, but um, looking forward to getting the, getting all the stuff for God tier working on painting that eventually. Uh, I've got some other projects that are work related that I'm working on as well. Um, nice. Yeah. yeah. I uh, can say since our last podcast that I have purchased zero new models. Oh, snap. That's, uh, that's a big deal. Um, however, I have purchased a fair amount of flesh and blood packs. And then I did buy the general's handbook uh for age of sigmar and yeah. and because i do like the pretty nice rule book i did buy the rule book as well so yeah yeah but um i've got a few i've got a few things that i've been eyeing for future purchases um but uh i haven't uh yeah yeah no new models though that's yeah that's well you've got call. you've got the uh right quest stuff to look forward to a little bit later in the fall for uh, you and Oz to pick up for War Machine and yeah, I guess you can count that. I guess I did buy those, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Hey, what uh, what are you building? What are you painting? Uh, I actually did get some painting done this weekend. I spent a lot of time hanging out at home and trying to work on some projects and do a little cleanup in my room and my hobby space. Actually, um, cleaning and reorganizing slightly. So I got. Um, I decided to take a break from some of the 40k stuff I was painting mm -hmm. um, 
and started working on some of the War Machine Hordes models that I had uh, left over from last year. And so I recently painted um, my extra unit of Druids Vorboros plus their unit leader. Um, got those done, yes, a couple days ago. Uh, and then I started working on some of the Riot Quest models, primarily the ones that start, that come in the uh, um, Wintertime Wasteland uh, starter box, because I'm going to use those uh, in a display case at the store. So trying to get them painted up nicely. Yeah, I, I saw did, your Legion model. It looks nice. Yeah, I did uh, Yasilla yesterday, and then I yep. also painted up uh, Stone Cold Black Bella. Um, she's looking nice. I was actually just working on getting some color on shivers right before we started, uh, recording and man, that is a tiny model. <laughs> uh, and then I've got, uh, Yuri, uh, the new Yuri model nice. uh, sitting at my desk as well as a couple of Warcaster miniatures, um, that I've got primed that I'm going to work on here eventually, but, uh, as I'm giving myself some more projects and stuff at work, uh, I'm trying to work on getting those models painted for the display cases that I'm going to be, little dioramas I'm going to be creating for showcasing various minis games. Nice. One up here, so. Nice. That's what I've been working on. Oh, I got um, I got a full unit of Retri uh, Retribution Dawn Guard Invictors assembled that I, I picked up from Mindtaker Miniatures. Uh, showed up a couple of days ago. Showed up Friday. I grabbed it Saturday uh, and got them assembled. That's for another um, demo army that I'm building for work. Oh, nice. I'm going to paint white, even though I'm going to hate it. <laughs> yeah. It's going to improve your skill big time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I um, built um, all of my remaining Skaven stuff. Uh, which was basically the Skaven Endless Spells and then the Gnaw Holes. Um, I'm, I've decided for my Skaven army that I'm going to play exclusive um, Clan Eshin. And mm -hmm. so, um, so, I'm, uh, so uh, but now this means that I can start playing fancy stuff because I've been playing them without the Endless Spells. And and so Oz has had a few advantages on over me because of that. But yeah, and then, and then I primed the and the spells, but I haven't primed the nawholes. And actually, the way the nawholes work is there's a there's like a like a whirlpool, and it and it's probably you know a five inch diameter circle. It's not a it's not a solid uh, you know perfect circle, but it's circular whirlpool that's surrounded by like rocks and then and then built on top of that is a structure that makes the you know like the skaven symbol out of wood and so oh, yeah so what i was thinking about doing um i did not glue the wood structures into the base of the gnaw holes on purpose because what i was thinking about doing was priming them two different colors and then painting them separately yeah. Um, to, to one to make it cleaner, but also because I want to do a different technique for the knot holes. I want to try to make the knot holes glow a little bit. Um, cause they're supposed to be like where you can teleport through and it's supposed to be like magical and stuff. So, yeah, but yeah. And then at the last paint party, um, I built 
all of my movement trays that I purchased for Ninth Age. And it occurred to me that I don't think I purchased the right sizes. No, no. <laughs> so I purchased, I basically purchased a random amount from two different companies because uh, I wanted to see what they looked like. And so one company has, um, has the lip, then they come in pieces. They come in wood, the, all the wood comes in different pieces. And you have to use wood glue and, and you have to like sit there and hold them or clamp them down in some way. Um, and so one of the companies there, the lip goes around the entire perimeter or edge of, of the tray. And, and then the other company only has it around the front arc and then the two side arcs. And so, um, so what I want to do is get my, my ninth age army out and put them in the trays one to figure out, uh, which style I like, and then two, figure out which size I want. Because in the rule set, depending on if they're wider or if they're deeper, you get different bonuses. So like uh -huh. if, you, if you go like, you know, two by five versus five by two, um, it's a different kind of unit, you know? Uh, okay. So, yeah. So, and you know, and I'm new to, I'm new to rank and flank games that are like that. So, um, so I didn't know exactly what to purchase when I bought the trays. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. So good conversation today. It makes me want to go out and look at other more games. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, hey, we have the paint party every Thursday, um, 8 p.m. And it kind of goes until the last person leaves. Uh, if anybody who's listening wants to join us, it's on, the, it's on our Discord server, and um, it's just a great time. And you don't have to stay for the whole time. You can, and you can come late and you can leave early. Um, but the idea is to just build community and also help with accountability. Just you know, just getting our hobby time in. You know, it's I know for me personally, it's something that I have marked in my calendar every week, and it's something I look forward to every week. So. Uh, the other thing we have is the book club, and that's a monthly meeting. It, we meet on the last Sunday of the month in the afternoon, um, and uh, and we're taking turns reading fiction and rules, fiction and rules, because we're nerds and we like to read all the things. This month, we're reading the Conan RPG rulebook, and so you can pick that up. If you already have it, great, or you can pick up a PDF of it on DriveThruRPG if you want. Um or you can buy it from your local friendly. Um, but that's what we're going to be talking about this month. And then we'll announce what next month's going to be. Um, and then, um, and then we won't announce what's coming. We'll only drop the teaser, but we're going to be doing something with rain and hell as a, as a podcast. And so we're looking forward to that. So yeah, that's about it. Right. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, um, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you in the next episode.
Tum, tum, tum.